Welcome to the Forest Hill Church Podcast. I'm Stacy Martin, one of your hosts. This is the first episode of a new segment where we will be digging deeper into this weekend's message. 35 minutes, and I'm sure you feel this way, Jason, as a pastor, 35 minutes is never enough time to unpack all the goodies that are there in Scripture and then even cover some of the questions that may come up along the way. And if I'm honest, sometimes the questions that come up for me while I'm listening to a sermon derail me from actually even hearing the meat of the message. So that's what this podcast is for. I'm going to be sharing the mic with other pastors and leaders here at Forest Hill as we talk about the meat of the message and the questions that pop up and how what we're learning on the weekend can then be practically applied throughout the day to day. So I mentioned our first guest. His name is Jason Smith. He is one of the pastors here and is currently leading our NoDoc campus. But he and his wife, Jessica, and I'm sure you have fond memories of this, have helped lead and establish both the Ballantine Movie Theater Campus, the Ballantine Campus at the Morrison Y, the Uptown Campus, and now the NoDoc Campus. He's the dad of three daughters, which is why you have aged exponentially fast. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have. I'm feeling it too. <laughs> and I can say that because I'm the oldest of three daughters, and I remember being the cause of the age for my oh. poor father. So <laughs> That just gives me hope that there's something on the other side of this. There is something on the other side. Jason preached this past weekend on Isaac, a character in the Old Testament. And this was the second message in this series. Two weeks ago, David Chadwick, our senior pastor, taught us about the life and legacy of Abraham. Um, but truth be told, we would have done a podcast on Abraham, but the throw-up bug hit my house. So we had to throw up Trump's podcast every single time. Every time. Every time. So, Jason, how would you describe this series that we're in? Well, I think that uh, what we're attempting to accomplish is to give people an understanding of some of these characters in the first part of the Bible called the Old Testament. Uh, people that you know, who you've heard their names before. We talked about that some yesterday. Um, these are folks who, who are kind of legendary. And the thing about them is um, their life, ha- uh, it matters in moving God's story forward. It's not just their story, but it's also about how God has chosen to be on this plan of rescue for the entire universe. What we looked at earlier in the year at our first series, you know, just on this idea of God is in the process of redeeming to use a, a big church word, or bringing back to right uh, the entire universe. And so each of these characters we're looking at helps move that story forward, and it also reveals something to us about God himself in the way that he interacts with them. So we're trying to help people get a good grasp of the Bible. Uh, we hope that over time they'll see how each one of these fits together in the whole, and, and then also just kind of have a basic understanding of who God is. What would you say to the people who are like, Oh, the Old Testament. Could it be any drier? Could it be, you know, the New Testament is the is the glossy, shiny part of the Bible we joke about. What would you say to those people who are like, oh, the Old Testament, I cannot imagine a drier way to spend the first part of 2019? Yeah, I think uh, if that's true, then it's possible that they haven't read some of the stories that we're talking about yet. Because truth be told, um, the New Testament is, it's, it's Jesus, it's miracles, and all those things. That same stuff happens in the Old Testament. And once you get through some of the parts, I get it. I mean, there are a list of names and generations, and there's land marking out, all that kind of stuff that would be normal if you were trying to capture the history of a people which is part of what the Old Testament is doing. Uh, But there is some unbelievable content in here. I'm talking about, like I said yesterday in the message, uh, there is um, violence, there is blood, there is treachery. um, There there are all kinds of the things that we would normally look for in entertainment that you find right here. You just have to spend the time uh, reading it. 
So That's a great point. So you started off your message really uh, reviewing this guy named Abraham, Abraham, and you mentioned that he was called a friend of God and that God himself called Abraham a friend of God. What does that mean yeah. to be a friend of God? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's, he's referred to as a friend of God by another writer in the New Testament. And whenever you read that, it just kind of goes to, to show there's something special about their relationship. Here's the way I would think about it. Um, our closest friends— our best friends are people that we may not agree perfectly about everything in life, but on the big things in life, we agree, right? That's kind of how we become friends. Uh, and I think that's what God is getting at or the writer is getting at and calling him a friend is that the uh, Abraham has agreed with God about how he's to live, how the future is going to be. And he was also in an intimate relationship with him. I mean, it sounds mind-blowing. But we read in just a few chapters, four, five, six times, God either speaks audibly to him or shows up in some kind of a, an image to him. Um, there's an intimacy of relationship. And, and I would just say this, too. What's really cool as we keep going forward is uh, later Jesus would say in John 15, I now call you friends to everybody. So now because of what he's done, this opening up of the relationship you and I can be friends of God too. So Abraham had the first title of it, and it was pretty special, but we have the opportunity to, to be friends of God now as well. Mm, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved how you said, you know, when you're talking through your own title, Jason Smith, campus pastor, Abraham, friend of God, like that totally trumps. <laughs> totally. No matter, I mean, our greatest, our greatest titles, that totally trumps it. Yeah, yeah that's neat. Well, one of the major verses we looked at when you were talking about Abraham was um, in Genesis 15, 5. And in there, um, and I'm sure you can quote the scripture, I, not being a pastor or somebody who memorizes scripture well, right. doesn't have it, but the word righteousness comes up. And I feel like I'm a word person. I love, I love language. I love what words mean, but I also, and I love the power words have, but words are funny that if you don't know the word, it can trip you up. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this podcast is that we have a chance to unpack even vocabulary that could present itself as a barrier. So, you know, say you are sitting in church, it's the first time in a long time or maybe the first time ever, and you hear this big Christianese word, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you think, I don't know what that means. Like, they use this word like I'm supposed to know it. Maybe I'm not supposed to be here. So I think it's gonna be so cool that in this podcast we're able to unpack some vocabulary that some of us take for granted. So in this verse, in, in Genesis 15, 5, it talks about the word righteousness. What is righteousness? Yeah, that's such a great question and such a great point. Um, I, I said this in the message yesterday that this idea that Abraham believed God, believed God's promise to him, believed that he was going to do what he said, and God counted that or credited that to him as righteousness. That is the heart of Christianity right there. So it's important to explain that word. Uh, in its most basic sense, what righteousness means is being like God. In other words, uh, if sin or if falling short of God's standard is one end of the spectrum, righteousness is the exact opposite of that spectrum. And so how it plays itself out, I think, is that righteousness then means there's nothing between me and God. There's no barrier keeping us separate, which would normally be sin. It would be the places where I rebel or where I choose to believe differently than God, right? In this case, God said, simply because you trust me, I'm counting that as if 
you think and act and are just like me. You are now able to be in relationship with me. There's no barrier, no blockage there. And so I, you could really make it pretty simple and just say righteousness is, is rightness. It's being in right relationship with God. Oh, wow. That really does help unpack that, which then connects back to being a friend of God. If you're you know, like him and like-minded like him and right with God, there it connects to that relationship. That's right. And, and part of that is you, we know that Abraham still had failure. I mean, it doesn't take long to keep reading, and he's doing some pretty crazy stuff. He's pimping his wife out. He's not believing God at times. He's having doubt creep in. But God looked over that and saw his, the heart of his trust as enough to overshadow it. And that's going to be a foreshadowing of our, all of our ability to trust. The heart of our trust in Christ is enough to overshadow all of our sin. So. That's what I think I love about these characters. I know in 2019, we or 2020, we're talking about doing characters in the New Testament. And one of the characters is King David, which he has all kinds of issues too. I mean, you talk about Abraham pimping out his wife. I mean, David does all kinds of various and sundry things and yet is still called a man after God's own heart. And all of that seems confusing to us when we think like, well, if you're gonna highlight this person in the Bible, he better be like creme de la creme, squeaky clean, never screw up, and it's not true. Absolutely not. In fact, that's one of the things that gives me the most comfort in being a Christian is the Bible doesn't try to gloss over and hide the real humanity of all these people. Because uh, I think it's so easy, especially when, when we're not yet a believer. If you're not a church person, you're not a Christian, you, you feel this external, almost um, a, a set of rules, a level, a standard that you could never reach. And sometimes instead of saying, but in spite of that, God wants to love me, we say that just means I could never be with him. I could never believe this. I'm too far gone. And so uh, when we see these guys who are doing things that most of us would never do, there's enough social pressure that, that I would never tell somebody that Jessica is my sister, you know, and allow her to become part of a harem. Nobody would ever let me off the hook with that. And yet I think this is God's grace and patience with us as humans. And, and then it also, and I, I would be remiss not to say this, it also highlights how much Jesus had to overcome in his sacrifice for us to cover all of that, to make it possible for that not to be the thing that defines us. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Mm. Well, going back to vocabulary, there was a phrase that um, you used, and we were already joking about this a little bit um, before we pressed record. Um, you used a phrase, omniscient and sovereign. What do those two words mean, especially when, it, when you're using it to describe God? Thank you for asking that, because uh, I had that message on Saturday. Um, as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was literally trying to grab them and pull them back. Uh, not because they're not good words or not accurate, but because I, I'm really, and we're all trying to, to use language that helps people understand, doesn't create a barrier. So I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Um, omniscient and sovereign. O omniscient is a word that doesn't really get described or ascribed to anyone except God, maybe Google. <laughs> um, and it simply means all-knowing, knowing everything, knowing the future, knowing the past, knowing the present, knowing how things are going to work out. It just means that somehow, and we, we can't wrap our brains around this, that God is able to know everything at once. Sovereign is a term we may be a little more you know, um, familiar with, and it means all-powerful. It means that he's got, there's another word for it that goes with the omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipotent, sometimes is used, but sovereign just means in control, of mm. all, powerful enough to be in control of everything. Again, I can't explain that. Um, 
and I'm sure for some people that's like, whoa, God's choosing all my things for me. He's pushing the buttons. And I just think I'm not walking through this like a marionette or a puppet. I don't think that's the intention. I just think he, because he knows everything and because he has all power, he is working things out in according uh, to the purpose that he has for the world. And that's back to how we started, to yeah. making it all right. I think my seven-year-old would say that Siri is omniscient and sovereign, that she's controlling Alexa and Siri are, are controlling our, our lives. So we, we may need to back up and do a little bit more uh, biblical foundations in the Martin household. <laughs> no doubt. Have, have you ever like talked about something with your kids and then the next time you picked your phone up on your ad bar is exactly what you were talking about? You Freaks know, yeah. me out. I'm not sure what we're going to do about that. but Freaks me out. But I'm, I'm pretty glad, I'm very glad actually, that God is omniscient and sovereign because you know I, I don't need to worry so much about those pop-ups from Alexa if That's God's right. in control of all of it. Well, one of the things that you mentioned, which I think is so interesting about Abraham, but we didn't really go into it, but I, I can see where people would say, I, I've got to know more about this. You talked about Abraham being the father of three world's religions. And I think now, especially in what happens in politics and what's happening in the Middle East and what happens between Israel and other um, Middle Eastern nations, I think it'd be so interesting to hear why is Abraham the father of three worlds religions. What are those religions and how, what does it all mean? Yeah, great question. And uh, we probably won't have time to dig super deep into it, but I'll you know, hopefully give enough that folks can kind of go on their own and search more. So um, the three religions are Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Obviously, Christianity came out of Judaism. It's, it's really the way you could view it is like the fulfillment of the beginnings of Judaism. It's, it's what... Uh, the Hebrews, the Jews were looking forward to that we as Christians believe has now been fulfilled in Jesus. And so it kind of takes an offshoot of that river. But there's another river coming from Abraham, and that is the River of Islam. Um, and we didn't have time yesterday to, to really jump into this too much, but uh, Abraham was promised by God to have you know this as many children as the number of stars in the sky, this huge family line. And uh, after waiting for a while, this is part of his on an inability to, um, to trust God all the time, some of his failure, uh, he decides to literally take matters into his own hands. And mm-hmm. uh, so he and his wife have a plan where they take her Egyptian servant, a woman named Hagar. Um, and after they've been waiting for this promise that hadn't come, he sleeps with Hagar and gets her pregnant. And so he had a son before Isaac. That son's name was Ishmael. And uh, in the Muslim tradition, if you look all the way back, you'll find that they count that as the starting place for their faith as well. Ishmael then spawns, and we see just an amazing uh, demonstration of God's graciousness in that too. Uh, It'd be great to read the story, but Ishmael and his mom eventually get kicked out of the house. So Sarah's all happy for a second that she has the son, and then like any of us would do, she starts immediately being bitter that she was not the one to come through that that boy didn't come from her. And so jealousy and anger happens, and she kicks him out. And what we read is that God still takes care of them in a very special way. Hagar and Ishmael are out. Uh, they, they go out to die, basically. She leaves the boy somewhere near a rock just crying, and she's like, I can't stand to watch him die, but this is what's going to happen to us. And it's the first time that we see the, this name of God called El Roy, which means he sees mm. in, um, in Hebrew. And basically God tells her, it's going to be okay. I've got you too. I'm going to take care of this boy. And there are going to be a nation that comes out of him as well that would, that would lead to modern day kind of Arabic people. Um, but he also foretells and he, and he says, but you're going to be in constant conflict 
with the people that will come from Abraham. Wow. And, and so we see that playing out now between Jews and Palestinians and uh, Jews and Muslims and Christians and, and all of that tension that's still there. And I think it's, it's one of the hard things, but you just kind of point back to go, this is what happens when we try to take matters into our own hands. Yeah. God certainly forgives. He obviously and always applies grace, but there are always consequences. Um, and so we see some of that now. So Abraham, uh, if you looked at any of those three, would they, everybody would point back in Judaism, Islam, Christianity to that was the start. That's the beginning of the covenant relationship with his people. That is fascinating. Yeah. That is fascinating. Well, one of the purposes of looking back on Abraham in your message was this idea that we have to look backwards in order to see forward. And that was one of the, that was one of the things that Abraham did. How did he do that? How did Abraham look backwards in order to see forwards. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, part of me felt like um, this, the week was supposed to be about Isaac, and so much of Isaac's story is what happens to him, not what he does. And so I felt almost I was giving him the shaft a little bit, like he didn't get as much of the spotlight because uh, it was about how Abraham worked with him. The, the reason I would say, and I tried to lay that out, that Abraham had to look backward to see forward is he was faced in the story we looked at with this unthinkable question, this unthinkable test. God is going to tell him, I want to test you by having you sacrifice your child. This, this one that I've given you, that's the son of promise, the answer to all your prayers, the, tr- the evidence that you can trust my promise to you. I want him back. It's gut-wrenching to read through God asking that of Abraham and then what then happened to lead. I mean, it was I've read the story before, but sitting in services and now being the mom of two boys, it it was a gut punch. I mean, just the visceral reaction of, gosh, I'm sitting on the other side of the glass, you know? And it still affected me deeply to think through what Abraham had to do out of obedience. So true. And and that was the, the point, I think, is how could he obey that? How is it possible? And, and we'll talk maybe later, but we definitely talked in the sermon about how God was never actually going to take his son from him. That, that He was actually trying to show he's different. His holiness means his, his difference, his being separate from all the other gods. That was actually his way of showing off his own character. Uh, but in the moment, it doesn't feel that way. And you're just going, how is Abraham able to do this horrible thing? And the answer is, uh, or at least the way that I was looking at it is, he had to keep looking back into his memory, remembering where God had showed up before. He had to go back to that night where God said, come outside your tent. I want you to look at all these stars, and I want you to, to, to see this is what I'm going to give to you. And then he did. You know, there's the miracle of them having a child when they were fertile for all this time, and they were super old. And, and that moment, Abraham had to look back and go, nope, he promised, and he came through. No, he, he showed me he would take me to this new land, and I trusted, and, and here I am. I think for all of us, it is super important, when, especially when we're facing things that feel like a test or, or opportunities to obey something that just does not make sense. It's really important for us to have a history in our own minds or in Scripture or with these stories to look back and go, I can trust him. Because you know, just like I do, in that moment, trust is weak. You don't have the strength to do something that makes zero sense. And so that's where I was trying to go with that. Well, so how how do we do that practically? Like, what are some tools? I mean, sometimes I feel like, you know, there's that movie with Adam Sandler, and he's got the friend, I think he calls 10 Second Tom, because he can only remember 10 seconds in the past. Uh, Sometimes I feel like that, where I can only remember 
I can only remember the hardship or I can really only remember what I had for breakfast, let alone the ways God's been faithful. What are, what are some practical ways that you do that to think back on how God's been faithful? Yeah. Um, some of it becomes a habit that you develop over time. And it takes a long time. I mean, let's be honest again. Abraham had to walk 25 years this journey of following God and trusting him to be able to do this thing in that moment. It, and he failed a lot, but God kept strengthening him along the way. So one of the things that I think you could do practically, if you're a journal person or a write, I mean, write those down. You could, some people write their prayers, and then they go back and write when God's answered. Um, that would be a super, I don't do that, but that would be a super cool thing to have, like this, record or almost God's resume for you, you know, man, he came through there. And, and sometimes that may take a long time to go back and fill in the answers, but he does. Um, the other thing I think is that you tell these stories in, within your family. So, uh, you know, for example, we have this really cool story. I don't probably have time to go into it right now, but um, the house that we live in is just a total God thing. Like there was no way at the time when Jessica and I got married and we were broke and uh, we were, you know, trying to figure out how we're going to afford a house um, in, a, in a school area where we wanted our kids to be. And I mean, we were renting and all this kind of stuff. And it was like impossible for us to do this. And God and, and like six or seven just crazy miraculous events. I, I would call them miraculous. Mm-hmm. Somebody on the outside might not. Um, just made this thing possible. And so then we get in the house, and the funny thing is, like, a year into it, we have this major plumbing disaster that, that destroys our kitchen. But the kitchen was terrible when we moved in. Like, it was— It needed to be destroyed. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, if there had been any way we could have just, you know, taken jackhammers to it when we started, we would, but we didn't have enough money for that either. And, and so through this emergency disaster, we watched God provide a new kitchen through, like, thank God for insurance. Um, I'm really glad he was sovereign <laughs> to make insurance companies. Um, but so we get this new kitchen, and it's like every time we're sitting in the, in the kitchen or in the dining room, it's, it's more than once a month that we'll say, do you remember that there was no way we could have had this place? Like, God did this himself. And so I think those kind of stories, whatever they are for you, um, it could be where he's, you know, answered prayer and healed somebody. It could be where he gave you wisdom that you didn't know you had. I, I don't know what it is, and there are millions of examples. But if you will make that a part of the oral tradition of your family— Tell those stories to your kids. As they get older, explain more about you, what you were feeling, when it's appropriate, you know. Your doubt, maybe. Be honest about that. Uh, and I think they become those moments. For, for Abraham, it was Mount Moriah, the, the place he named God will provide. Mm-hmm. He could look back at that. Uh, I mean, do you think Abraham or Isaac ever questioned again whether God would come through? No way. I, I don't think so either. I mean, they're human, so maybe. Um, but it would shock me. Um, you know, so what are those places for you? And write them down, tell them to your kids, and then pull them back up when you need it. One of the things I've learned from Marilyn Chadwick, our senior pastor's wife, she does this thing called an Ebenezer box. And um, she has a box, and in it she puts kind of the big, chunky prayers that feel too heavy to carry. You know, the things that we just weigh us down, and they, be- they can become worry as opposed to prayers that we lift up. So she writes them down, and she writes these big, chunky things down, and she puts them in this God box, this Ebenezer box, as a sign of walking away from it. And then she revisits it. And so I've started to do the same thing. Now, hers looks real pretty. Mine um, is on my mantle, and it looks like my dead Aunt Irma's ashes. Like, it's not (laughs) nearly as pretty. But inside, I have been putting, I write down these things that just seem really heavy in the moment. And I know that God can, can do all things. 
but it's hard for me to it's hard for me to remember but I know I've got this practice where I can go back and I look and sure enough when I go back and unfold those little dated pieces of paper that might say anything like Mike's job you know mm. we went through a, a job loss last year and it just seemed like god how are you going to how are you going to show up here I know you will but I can't quite remember how you do it I just wrote it down and I put a date and when I came back I was able to say gosh you did provide like I have the prayer right here and it's nothing but a few words and the date and it just reminds me because I do I have short-term memory issues you know I'm never gonna I'm never gonna remember in my own human weakness all the ways God showed up that is such a great example and, and to your point earlier about um, language so Ebenezer for anybody who doesn't know that was um, that's a Hebrew word for what they would call these places where they would pile up rocks or they would do something to kind of set um, a, a visible reminder where God came through later the, the children of Israel would pop them in the middle of a river when they crossed over and God made that possible or, or mount them somewhere. And he would say, bring your kids back here, show them this, remind them of what I've done. So that's what the, the I've Ebenezer seen thing things is. like that when I've been hiking or different things where you'll see people pile up rocks and kind of these, I wonder if that's what those are. Could be. Interesting. Yeah. So it's important for us to look backwards in order to look forwards, but what about people who are stuck in the past? What about people who can't do anything but stay where they are, stay in the hurt, stay in the places where maybe they're not sure God has showed up, or what would you say about that? Yeah, uh, and you know, thanks for asking that question. I hope that that I didn't lead people uh, to get stuck in that in this message this weekend. But um, I think you know, Scripture says this. Paul writing in First Corinthians says that there are three things: faith, hope, and love, and um, and love is the only one that ultimately remains forever. Uh, I love that verse because one of the things it says, uh, and I mentioned this this weekend, faith is built looking backward. And your trust for how to move forward in the future is built by seeing where God's shown up in the past. But hope is a future-oriented thing where now you're saying, now I'm taking that trust and I'm placing it to move forward. And sometimes, um, especially if we're still waiting on God to answer, that looking back can trap us in the past. I think that's what you're meaning. Um, and, and I I don't know exactly what for an individual person would be the way you pull yourself out, but, but you can't always look in the rear view. You know, I mean, I think you glance in the rear view to understand how to move ahead. Uh, and so you begin to say things, to pray things, to, um, to surround yourself in your community with people that will help you look forward. Because there, for all of us, there are going to be those moments, sometimes they're huge, um, that God just didn't answer the way you want it. I mean, I have a story like that myself. You know, uh, I had a brother that um, that died about six years ago, and he had had all kind of issues and struggled, and um, we just believed that God was going to heal him. Like, I had this amazing script written out for God, exactly how he should do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a miracle. He's going to be able to walk again. It's going to be fantastic. Everybody's going to see you were good. And that was not his plan. Um, so I could get stuck in that. I, I could certainly fall into saying, can't get past it because you didn't answer the way I wanted. That is a trap for all of us. Um, And I wish I could give you just the perfect answer, but this is one of those places where faith has to override and hope has to override our current circumstance, and you just have to keep trusting. And, And I believe when we really try to do that, I think God will give us the strength to move forward. But, God, that sounds like a church answer. I'm sorry. No, I think it doesn't seem like a church answer in the fact that you are talking from experience. You know, I think a lot of times what feels churchy 
is when we say something but don't give any context. You know, we haven't talked through our own personal struggles. You know, I think a lot of people look at Christians, especially people who do full-time ministry, as, gosh, your life has probably been smooth sailing. You've got it all together. You and your wife never fight. You never struggle with finances. <laughs> you never get indigestion. Ask you, Siri. <laughs> yeah, ask Siri. You never, you never go through the junk that I've gone through. You know, I think that's what people say. And so to hear from a full-time ministry person, a, a Christian, somebody who has given his life and his professional life to Christ, to hear, you know what? Like, God didn't show up the way I wanted him to. And I'm still processing that, and I know it's good because God's good. And that's all I can say. I mean, yeah. faith is is that. Yeah, that's it. Well, I think what's interesting about faith for people who are new to, to Christianity or new to the church is that a lot of it feels like it requires this suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. you know? And that, and so it's interesting talking about Abraham and Sarah. One of the things that I think can be a barrier to people is that they were so very old when they got pregnant. I mean, we're not talking like Oh, you're 45. Wow. We're talking like in the hundreds, 90s. I'm, I'm 45, Stacey. <laughs> I know. That's why I said that. <laughs> no, but, you know, to have, to have, to get pregnant in and of itself is a miracle when you struggle with infertility. But then to get pregnant when he is in his 100 plus, she's 90 plus, what would you say to somebody who is new to faith or new to church and they're like, wait. Am I, am I really supposed to believe that they were that old? Am I supposed to suspend disbelief? Or, like, tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, I, I will start by saying there there is no perfect answer to this question. Um, it requires faith. And let's just point that out, that faith is trusting something even when you can't see it. If, if you could see it perfectly, if we could rationalize it or explain it away perfectly, then you wouldn't need faith at all. Uh, you wouldn't need faith to believe in this God that we can't see right now, but we're trusting that he's there, right? Um, but here's the way I think I would answer that is you see in Scripture, in the Bible in particular, that from the beginning uh, of recorded history with Adam and Eve, there, there's a lot of these lists, these genealogies we talked about earlier, and, and it tells how long the people lived. And they lived a super long time. I mean, Methuselah lived 969 years um, Enoch, this guy who got taken, you know, lived only to 305 or 350 years, something like that. Um, but people lived a long time. And then the, wor- the flood happens, this, this place where you may have heard of with Noah and the ark and the flood. That's, um, and God says in Genesis 6, 3, that um, the, at that point, the world was different. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like he ended the way the world had been, and it started new after the flood. And he talks about this idea that people would only live a certain amount of time is, is one of the ways we've looked at this. Like God's, a, a man's lifespan will only be 120 years. I don't know that that's the right way to interpret that verse. I think what it may be talking about is how long it was going to be from then until God actually provided the flood. Um, but at any rate, you see people's lifespans start to get shorter. Abraham's dad, Terah, lived to be 205. Abraham lives to be like 175. Sarah is 137, I think, something like that. But it's getting less and less. I th- here, here's what I think. Um, I think sin, not just the bad things we do, but this power of decay and destruction that was unleashed on the world in uh, Adam and Eve's rebellion, that that is affecting everything. It affects mm-hmm. DNA. It affects the weather. It affects um, the soil. I think, and then you add in our bad choices with that. So, I mean, is it possible that our environment, 
you know, the environment of the world changed so much that it was now hostile to humans. They couldn't live as long anymore. And, and the more that we do to poison it and do things like that, that's affecting our age. I think so. Um, and I, I think that, again, is, is when in Romans, when he talks about the whole earth is groaning for its rescue, its redemption. Um, that's a part of it. So I believe people have steadily gotten uh, died younger, had a shorter lifespan because of that increase in accumulation of sin. Now, through technology, we've been able to kind of overcome some of that, right? So the human lifespan got way down to 45 or 50 or something like that in a lot of places of the world, and then it started to creep back up. But I don't know that over time that continues. You know what I mean? Sure. So is that help answer Yeah, at all? that does. That gives a little bit more context around it because it is, without that, it's like, I don't understand this list of people right. who lived 300 plus years. It just, yeah. how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to grapple with that? Some fact? people would say too, like, oh, they counted in lunar months and not solar months at that time. So, but, so then maybe if you go through that, though, some of these people had children at like five or six years old. Um, so, you know, that's probably not it either, but mm-hmm. there's, there's a bit of a mystery in this. Yeah. Well, so much I will tell they... you this too. And, um, and it's not just in the Bible. Uh, there is a Sumerian, Sumerian, like from Sumer. Um, king's list uh, that's ancient, uh, probably predates most of the writings of Moses, and it lists these kings and how long they reigned, and, and they're nothing about Christianity or Judaism in that, and they talk about them living and reigning for hundreds of years. So I think if you really dig into this a little bit, look, it's not just the Bible that's asking you to disbelieve this. It's all of recorded history. Wow. But we don't always get to that point. That is so cool. Yeah. I did not know that. Well, so the story of Abraham and Isaac and, or, and Sarah, you've already alluded to this. Um, Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. And we talked about the sacrifice and what God um, was asking Abraham to do. Well, the story kind of plays out. And because of Abraham's faith, an angel of the Lord shows up. And one of the things he says is, because you fear the Lord. So my mom grew up in a Southern Baptist um, congregation. And this fear the Lord, like, you need to be a God-fearing woman. That, I don't, I didn't understand what fear in relationship to a God who's supposed to be omniscient, sovereign, you know, all these loving. Love. Yeah, God is love. Like, so what does that mean to fear God? Well, if I go back to what my mom and grandmother said, they they could actually put the fear of God in me, they <laughs> yes. would say, several times. Yeah. Um, and that usually involved things that we don't do so much anymore. Uh, and discipline with children. But um, when the Bible talks about fear, especially in this context, most often it doesn't mean being scared of exactly. What it means is being in awe of. It means, um, have you ever been, let's say, uh, outside maybe in the West somewhere and you, and you walk out and you see the, the Grand Canyon or you see the stars at night where there's no other light and you're just kind of overwhelmed for a second or, or on the ocean kind of looking and you and you look out and you see there's no end to this as far as I can tell you feel really small that experience I think is what the Bible is trying to get at mm-hmm. there is a little bit of fear in that if, if you found yourself floating in a, uh, uh, a life raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean you would be overwhelmed and in awe and you would also be scared right I think there's some of that that when we place ourselves properly um, in relationship to God who knows everything, who's all-powerful, who created, and we're just the creature, there should be a sense of awe and wonder. And, I mean, we can find places, and I think what's so cool about 
about humans. This is why Christianity just makes sense to me. Um, we go looking for that all the time. It's so embedded in who we are that we want to feel little. We want to feel powerless for a second. We want the adrenaline rush or the, the overwhelming sensation that just blows our mind and makes us have that moment of wonder. We're always looking for that. And God says, it's me. Like, I'm the one that can provide that. So that's what fear means more of an on reverence than just hiding in the corner, sucking your thumb in the fetal position. Well, we joke about our moms and grandmas and their um, Southern ways teaching us about being God-fearing. But there is something to be said about the fact that there is a legacy of faith there that comes, I mean, whether or not we really got it. Uh, one of the things I loved and about how you ended yesterday's message is that you encouraged everyone to let the people around us, especially our children, or if we're in, in a place where we're mentoring younger people, to let them see us worship and to let them see us be obedient. Um, and like you said, to really use this time to talk about important things. How are some other ways that you and Jessica do that with your three girls? Because how old are your girls? Uh, 14, 12, and 4. So, and they've, they've grown up in the church, but you guys have always been really, I love the way you've parented where you guide your girls, but you've let them be individuals and choose their own ways and be their own people. And so how have you, how have you done that? How have you had your girls witness you and Jessica be obedient, worship? What does that look like in your family? Yeah, that's great. Part of the reason why I've done it that way is because I didn't have any other choice because I'm not powerful enough to stop them, but um, it's worked out well. Yeah, my, my girls uh, have seen us go to church from early. We made that a priority. It was important. Um, however, we also try really hard to not let church be the thing, but it's God that we're trying to get them to, to grasp and to be with, to not, not love church or, um, or religion more than they love the creator. And so we take a lot of times, and man, I, I messed this up so many times, uh, tons of missed opportunities too. Uh, but it happens best for us when we're one-on-one with them. Like in a group, it's kind of tough. Well, it's a pack um, mentality. If you've got three girls against one dad, it's total pack mentality. Yeah. I mean, I was leader of the pack, so there's no Jesus happening there. Yeah. Speaking of Southern, I got a bone to pick with you about that. Um, yeah, we'll do things like, I mean, you know, car rides are a great moment of that. We're going to talk about what they want to talk about, but I will try to bring up something about the weather that even says, God, look how beautiful this is. Why, do you think God actually had to do this for us? It's kind of cool that he made that sunset. He didn't have to. It could just go light to dark and go down. But no, it's purple and pink and orange. What does that say about him to you? Just asking a question to get them to engage. The other thing that we've done, um, and again, not perfectly, but we try to use dinner time um, as often as, as we can, and everybody has schedules and stuff. But when we can all sit around together, that time becomes more than just um, what happened at school. We'll, we'll talk about that, but then we'll also try to bring up something. And our, our family ministry team here does great at giving you parent cues and things that you can use to strike up conversations. We'll use that. Um, so I'll tell you about one almost failure, though. This past year, we decided we were going to go all in on Advent, right? Advent leading up to Christmas, this time to, like, you sit down and you read a passage of Scripture each night. And we lit a candle, and we sat around, and my kids thought that we were the weirdest. Like, every night it was, like, pushing back, you know. Um, and in my mind, this was going to be just such a beautiful tradition. They look back on it. They hated it. Um, so we mess up a lot. We fail on that. Um, but I think it's the intention, you know. I, it's so much more the fact that we're trying to engage them on that level. And I think every family, whatever that looks like, 
single mom and kids, single dad and kids, um, you know, extended family. I think there are always opportunities for us to use that space. We're the only ones that can pass on a legacy of faith like that to our kids. They know our family stories. We have to keep repeating those, like we said earlier. Um, there's a there's a huge opportunity, and it doesn't have to be like super scripted. Hmm. It can just be that. Tell me about what you think that means about God. The way that happened, even if it's it, even if it's when they say, um, "I don't like that about him," you know, yeah, I don't either. So, what should that mean for us? And just let the conversation go. That's that's part of what we do. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Well, in closing, I think the last thing I want to ask you is that, you know, we talked a lot about in this message about Abraham's obedience Mm. and that he was tested not for God's sake, but for his own building of his faith, um, for him to be able to reflect back and and know how, know what his faith looked like. What would you say to the person who feels like they're being tested right now? And obedience seems like a $4 Jeopardy word Mm. that they're never, that sure, obedience sounds great, but I'm in the thick of it right now. What would you say? Yeah, man. Um, I think the first thing I would say is when you feel like you're being tested, and uh, one of the scriptures I may not have gotten to yesterday in the message is James 1, uh, 2, and 3. He says, consider it pure joy when you're being tested, um, that that test produces a steadfastness or a strength of your faith. Um, I think that's important to know that in the testing, in the trying, uh, you're getting stronger. That, that's what I was trying to bring out with Abraham looking back to. He noticed how much stronger he was at this moment than 25 years before when he started following God. He, he could look back and say, man, I failed there, I failed there. He was patient, and here we are, and now I can do this. You know, That's part of the testing thing. Also a reminder that the test, I mean, let's go back to God being all-knowing. God is not surprised by how you react. The test is for us. The test is for, was for Abraham to see how strong he had become. The test is for you and me to see now. I can choose to follow what he wants, his way, even when it doesn't make sense, right? That still doesn't take away that moment of, like, am I going to obey or not? Um, and the, if I think of a person right now that's struggling and wants to obey and just feels like they can't, um, first, I know what that feels like. I know how scary that is, Um, and I think you probably do too. Mm -hmm. I would say this. Do everything you can to steel yourself to believe that God could be trusted, and then with faith in your back pocket and hope in your uh, windshield, right? I think you take a risk, and I believe we always find out there is so much more on the other side of saying yes to God than we could ever possibly imagine. Um, This is what faith comes down to. That's it right there. Being willing to do the hard or the countercultural or the scary thing, trusting that you're not doing it alone, that you are a friend of God. Um, That's what I'd say. And it's just going to be tough. Uh, But we can do it. With his help, we can do it. That's great. Well, thanks, brother. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate this. Love the opportunity. We're going to be doing this each week, meeting with another leader or pastor from Forest Hill and looking at last week's message and unpacking it just like this. Uh, Forest Hill Congregation, if you have any questions, if you are in the services over the weekend and you have a question, 
shoot us an email. Um, you can go on our Facebook pages and direct message us or put it up there, and we would love to answer your questions here. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank I appreciate you. it. It's fun to be with you. It was great. Thanks.